Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Jason Staples, Greg Barnes, and Ross Martin. And Jason, I want to go to you. Carolina opening the season against a team with a new coaching staff. No one seems to know what to expect on the Carolina side, on the offensive side of the ball. No one seems to know what to expect with California on either side. <laughs> so give us your look at California. I mean, we've done these prognostications before, and you were pretty good at it last season. Can you keep it going? Tell me about the Cow Bears. Yeah, um, I, I think I think uh, any sort of streak of projecting uh, really well is going to be uh, going to be stopped here, most likely because. As you said, there's just so much uncertainty surrounding both programs coming into the opener. I think week two will be a lot easier for for anybody looking at both at either team, and then with both teams playing each other in that first week, it's it's a difficult thing. But uh, you know, with them having brought in Wilcox, basically they Justin Wilcox, the uh, he had formerly been a defensive coordinator at Wisconsin, uh, and he's you know been all around, but mostly had spent his time on the West Coast, but. You know, he did a dang good job at Wisconsin as a defensive coordinator and filled that gap there well with a with a three four approach that was able to both stop the run or limit the run while doing very well, better than you would expect given the kind of personnel that Wisconsin can recruit against spread type attacks. So I mean, he's a guy that uh, his defenses are have traditionally been very sound. They're not going to give you anything for free, but Cal has not had the personnel in place to run a three, four in the past. And they're a lot smaller, particularly up front than what you normally get out of a unit. So that transition, it's going to be interesting to see how well they make that transition in this game. And it's certainly something, I think one of the first keys I'm looking at coming into this game is even though Carolina has had some turmoil and some trouble up front uh, during camp, they still should have a pretty good offensive line this year, I think. And, you know, given, the new quarterback situation, all the new skill talent. You know, I think in this game, you got to immediately test that smaller front and see if they can stop that that bread and butter inside zone and zone read stuff and establish that early in the game and see if you can push them around a little bit on the, uh, on the offensive and defensive lines there to establish some uh, something of a pecking order and then be able to throw some play action off of that later. Uh, I think that's really where this game starts is can Carolina take advantage of that matchup? the big offensive line, bigger offensive line versus a smallish 3-4 unit on the defensive line. Now, they're going to be quick, and they're going to try to fly around and, and be able to get good angles to, uh, to gang tackle and all that. But again, I, I think that's where, that's where things start. That's going to be the stir that straws the drink initially. Where it goes from there is going to be very much determined by how well they do in actually running the football in those early moments. Jason, along those lines, if I'm Justin Wilcox and Tim DeRuiter, and I'm looking at this North Carolina roster, especially on the offensive side of the ball, I'm saying there's not a lot of experience at the skill positions, especially at quarterback. Uh, even though Brandon Harris does have some certain experience at LSU, it would appear to me that their game plan is going to be to utilize that 3-4 scheme to create confusion as, as much as they can. Uh, an attempt to maybe get the, the quarterbacks rattled, if at all possible. Uh, do you think that's a wise approach, given what North Carolina is working with? 
Yeah, I, I think that's what what if I'm if I'm flipping this over and I'm saying from the Cal side, how would I coordinate this defense, especially given that I'm undersized, I'm bringing all sorts of blitzes from all over the place. And and actually, if I were going to going to look at a team that I would try to em- emulate a, a, a coordinator or an approach that I'd try to emulate in this game, I'd look at what Todd Orlando's done down at Houston the last couple of years in a similar three, four look where they've been a little bit undersized, but they brought all sorts of blitzes and they'll bring only four or five guys, but it's a different four or five every time. And then sometimes they'll bring six or seven, but they're really coming down hard against the run. Even though they're a little bit undersized, eventually what they're going to do, what they're going to basically commit to is we're going to make sure that our angles are good, that we're playing downhill against the run, and that we're going to do enough stunting and twisting and all sorts of games up front to make it difficult for you to find predictable running lanes, and we're going to force you to throw the football. If I'm Cal and I'm facing this North Carolina offense, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. It may be a little harder to do, though, if Carolina is able to use the tight end position, get some play action stuff to build off of off of some of that inside zone, be able to get the ball in, in some of the bubbles and so on, and, and use the the spread scheme that, that that Fedora runs to be able to get the ball on the edge again with some easier throws for those quarterbacks on some extension of the running game plays. And again, the question is, can you force Cal to, to tackle well in space? How well will they will they do that? Once, you know, things get more established on that defensive line on the line of scrimmage. I think Kyle's got to make, you know, the, the young quarterbacks, the inexperienced quarterbacks, throw the ball, stop the run, test Brand Harris or Chas Rad, whoever it is, to, to make them make the difficult throws. One thing I think I might play, if they try to create confusion and everything, I might play into the fact that Harris and Chas Rad are, are good runners. And, you know, if they don't see what they like, they can get loose and get some yards there as well. But I think. You know, I wrote about the wide receivers today, and I think the wide receivers are young and experienced, and the, and the quarterbacks are inexperienced, and that could really play into Cal's hands if they, if they lock down in the secondary and, and make Harris or whoever it is, you know, throw in some bad decisions and and make them make a play. So obviously, it's the it's the general consent of stopping the run first and going from there. Yeah, I'm just I'm not convinced that Cal's secondary, even though they've got some experience there, they return some guys who've played. But the thing is, they haven't really played all that well. They've given, I mean, they gave up a ton of points and a ton of yardage last year. I mean, they gave up, what, 42 points a game last year, almost 43 points a game. And yes, that's in a conference where, you know, everybody throws the ball around a lot. But, you know, it's not like they, they were locking anybody down defensively last year. If Carolina is able to establish enough of a running game to create some pa- uh, play-action pass opportunities, you have to like the, the opportunities that, that they'll have downfield. I just don't think you necessarily want to start there if you're if you're Carolina in this game because again I think you very much need to get your quarterback into a little bit of a comfort zone and you need to test that 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 front for Cal initially and see how that's going to work. Now that said, with a young quarterback, one thing you typically want to do is throw on first down more more often than not because it's the easier down to throw. They can't sell out to rush the passer when they're loaded up to stop the run there. So that's where you do go play action. But on second down, third down, you run the ball a little bit more than you would with a more experienced quarterback. And you settle on, you know, sometimes we're just not going to get the first down, but we're not going to turn it over. We're not going to, uh, to put ourselves in bad, bad positions. So it'll be interesting to see, I mean, how much they trust those quarterbacks who've not played in this system before in this game. I'm, I'm very much interested to see that. The other thing is from the, from the, the Cal perspective, 
when they do bring pressure, you pressure a a mobile guy a little different than you do a a guy who who can't move as well. I don't know that they're going to come as hard to try to 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 stop to sack those guys. I think what what you do is you try to compress the pocket. You try to make sure that you're that you're doing so with really disciplined lanes because I think they're going to want to see if Brandon Harris or Chaz Surratt or whoever's behind, whoever's in the pocket if they can make those throws from the pocket. I think that's that's going to be what they're going to commit to. We're going to stop the run and we're going to keep the quarterback in the pocket. And if you can beat us from the pocket, then so be it. And and I think that's really where this game is probably going to be won or lost. And now if I'm going to flip real quick to the defensive side, Cal can Cal can put up points. I mean, they have personnel. I mean, the Robins, uh, the Robertson kid, the wide receiver, Demetrius Robertson, might have been the best wide receiver prospect and and the, the best freshman wide receiver in the country last year. I mean, the kid can absolutely fly, and he's a threat to score at any time. And 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 Carolina better know where he is every time he's on the field. Given UNC's experience and youth and everything, I mean, this opponent could not be set up a little bit better for UNC. I mean, they have the same issues new staff and everything like that. And so I think UNC kind of lucked out schedule-wise other than a non-Power 5 team. I think the Heels are lucky to, to see a Cal team with so many questions as well and, and so much inexperience and a whole new staff. Yeah, and especially with where the strengths and weaknesses line up. I mean, Carolina is more experienced on the defensive side, should be able to handle a little bit more there. And where Cal has been really bad has been on the defensive side as well, which again lines up well for Carolina to be able to maybe get their offense off the ground a little bit better against that unit. But again, so much is unknown, so difficult to, uh, to, to really project in this game. I, I suppose it is approaching the time where, where we'll have to do a little bit more exact projection, but I'm, I'm trying to hedge on that as much as I can. Jason, Justin Wilcox made the, the interesting decision to go after Eastern Washington head coach Bo Baldwin as his offensive coordinator. And while Baldwin is not in the air raid tree branch, if you will, that Sunny Dykes was at California, they still like to throw the ball quite a bit. Like Eastern Washington threw the ball about 60% of the time last year. Very minimal sacks. They like to get the ball out quick. Uh, and they had a very high completion rate. So similar to Fedora in that regard, but uh, also similar to what Sonny Dykes did during his time at Cal. And so you would think that, you know, on one hand, Cal's defense maybe not be suited for that 3-4 look. The offense should be suited quite well for what Bo Baldwin wants to do. Uh, how beneficial is it for, for North Carolina to have a, a defense that not only is used to what Larry Fedora wants to do, but is one that is, is veteran, has a lot of returning players, not only starters, but guys that played on the two deep, to be able to counter a look that they're not quite sure how it's going to play on, on Saturday, even though they have plenty of Eastern Washington tape to, to go on. No, I, I do think it, it is very, very helpful for the North Carolina defense coming into this game to have been able to play against their own offense all camp. I, I think what Eastern Washington did offensively, and of course, Eastern Washington's probably best known recently in recent years for having upset some Pac-12 teams, particularly when they had Vernon Adams at quarterback who eventually transferred to, uh, to Oregon, if, if, if uh, the listeners remember that. But they were prolific on offense. And really what they did, I think you summarized it really well. It's not exactly an air raid system, but it is a spread pass-first system that also is going to use that 11-man running game, some, some uh, read option and things like that, use the quarterback's ability to move 
but they get the ball out and they get it out quickly and they're going to threaten you both horizontally and vertically. Well, that does sound an awful lot like a Larry Fedora offense. So, I mean, Fedora probably is going to be a little bit more balanced in terms of his approach to run and pass. He is going to be a little bit more read option heavy most years. I mean, he wasn't last year with Trubisky for, for good reasons. But, uh, you know, having faced that, I think in a lot of ways, they're, they are going to face a mirror image of themselves in this game, at least, you know, offensively. The offense, is going to, the, the offense that Cal is going to put out there is going to be in a lot of ways, at least philosophically, very similar to what they've faced. And again, that, that helps a lot when you're actually facing that on, in that opener because openers, again, every, there's so much uncertainty in openers. And the more you can get used to repping against what you're about to see, the less you have to think and the faster you can play. And I do think that benefits the, the UNC defense a lot in this game. Jason, just in general, Cal coming cross country, playing at 920 in the morning. We talked to Cal beat writer Nicholas Kranz earlier in the week, and he talked about um, he wasn't really concerned as much about the time difference. Uh, he thought that the coaches would do a good job in getting Cal prepared for that. Still, you know, it's still different going across country, but he thought the heat and humidity might be more of an issue and the weather, you know, is back and forth in Chapel Hill, but it's clearly not Berkeley, California. Your take on that as far as a team coming cross country, I mean, is that a benefit for Carolina? Cal's not as good as some teams Carolina will play. Does it even more help the Tar Heels that Cal's got to do that travel and affect them that way, giving Carolina even more of a home field advantage? Well, I'll just give you a couple data points from recent years. Look at what happened to Stanford. Uh, when they played at Northwestern. That was a really good Stanford team. And they looked like they were sleepwalking for the first three and a half quarters and got themselves beat by a team they were a lot better than, as it turned out later in the year. And why? Well, because I think one of the factors was that they they traveled cross-country and they played what for them was a morning game in in a different environment. And, you know, they, they it's it looked like they were sleepwalking. And another one is uh, Boston College over USC a few years ago. Now, that one was played later in the day, but still, I think that kind of travel, particularly coming west to east, does make it harder, especially with you know, college kids who are used to being up late at night rather than, up, than, than uh, early in the morning. So I think it affects things more the earlier the game's played. I mean, you think about it. This game is played at 9 a.m. In terms of the 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 the, the clock that these cow players are going to be play uh, going to be uh, playing in, you know their 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 body clock is going to be nine a.m. That that does matter, and and you know I know coaches are going to try to downplay that as much as possible. And I tell you what, if I were Wilcox, I'd have had them practicing in the morning. I know Duke does a lot of morning practices. If I were Wilcox, I'd have probably had them doing mostly morning practices throughout camp and and even in preparation for this week it would be morning practices before school why because i would be concerned precisely about that physical clock thing being an issue in the opener and then eventually maybe i'd move to afternoon practices once we'd start getting back on schedule later in the year but you know that's something that i, I don't think they've done and and i do think it's probably going to be a factor in this game and, it, and, and if it benefits anybody it is going to benefit north carolina we'll get to predictions a little bit later in this podcast and but, Ross, I want to go to you. You've sort of been away from our podcast earlier in the week about the offensive line, and folks have gotten on us about being a little too hard on what's out there. The news that R.J. Prince 
coming back and will be or not coming back, but will definitely be able to play on Saturday, I think is a good thing for North Carolina. So your take on that, Bentley Spain's been at practice. It's got to be questionable still with the amount of practice he's missed and his injury. But is Carolina's offensive line against Cal going to be an issue, at least as much as some people thought maybe, say, Monday or Tuesday of this week? I think if they have Spain healthy, I think they'll be pretty good if everybody else stays healthy. I mean, I think R.J. Prince, you know, he started most of the season last year. He had some experience the year before. He seems to be very improved based on what Cap has said and Fedora has said. I'm an athletic guy, a good-sized guy who moves in, inside and can really be a road grader in there with some good athleticism for pulling and things like that. I think, uh, you know, obviously Spain is what he is. He's a, he's a steady guy at left tackle if he plays. And then I think you look at what Nick Polino and William Sweet and Charlie Heck can do, and those are more of the unknowns. I think Cap trusts Sweet. Obviously, uh, he played a lot last year. He's a big freak of an athlete with, with great size, and I think they feel really good about the future there with Sweet and Heck. And then Nick Polino is kind of the guy who hasn't played much. And obviously, that when the lights come on, you never know how he's going to respond. That'd be the one spot to look at at left guard and how kind of Polino reacts to, you know, a, a, a new challenge for him. And then, of course, Cam Dillard's been the, the steady guy all season. I think that's going to be key there, all preseason. That's going to be key there. So, I mean, I think they have the guys in this, you know, this first team. And if they stay healthy and, and mesh and, 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 you know, do what they're supposed to do, I think it'll be an okay group. Um, obviously, the depth is a little concerning. If one guy goes down or Spain can't go, that's where you kind of get worried. But I think if, if, if Spain plays, everybody stays healthy. Heading the Cal game, I think there's a, a slight optimism of where they are considering what they've lost and just this turbulent, weird off uh, preseason for them. Greg, I know Ross wrote the story this on Inside Carolina about the wide receivers. But you, we've talked about it a lot. Taylor Vipolis talked about guys that he thought might would step up. He talked glowingly about Anthony Ratliff-Williams. But I want to ask you about Austin Pro. And quite frankly, we haven't discussed this position as much on the offensive line or on this podcast because the offensive line has kind of overshadowed everything. Can Pro be that guy for this offense? Do you think – I mean, he clearly has the personality for it. But can he be the one that leads this unit – say maybe like a, a Switzer or even a Hollins or to a lesser extent, Bug. Bug led by example a lot, but can the comparisons are obvious. They make them all the time, and I don't want to get into why Prol and Switzer are so compared. But as far as leadership roles, is Prol that guy for this, this unit for sure? Yeah, I don't think there's any question that, that Prol is, is the leader of not only the wide receiver group, but, but one of the leaders of the team and especially on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, him and Bentley Spain are probably two primary leaders, and Pro is the more vocal of the two. Uh, and I think that's a critical role to have. Now, in terms of production, he, he may not be the flashiest guy, but I kind of draw some comparisons to how Quinshad Davis was. Justin, that, you know, Quinshad, he, he wasn't the flashiest. He wasn't going to have these incredible plays necessarily. But he was going to get the job done, and he was going to be consistent, and he was going to be a vocal leader, and guys could look up to him, and he could be a calming presence on the whole group. And I really think that's what Prol is going to be able to do because there are other guys. You know, you've got Daz Newsom, You've got uh, Roscoe Johnson, guys who are very athletic. Roscoe, of course, is, is very fast. Devin Perry uh, has some of that speed. 
So you've got some guys that are maybe faster than pro, maybe more athletic, maybe a little bit quicker, and can provide some some wow plays. Uh, but I but I think you got to have pro there to kind of guide this group because while those guys may be you know, flashy, they're going to make mistakes, and so when they step off that field, or even when they're on the field. It's going to be very beneficial to have a guy like Pearl come over, smack him in the head, say, hey, forget about it, move on to the next play. And so you know, in terms of his value, uh, it's going to be immeasurable for this team. It may not show up in the, in the stats. You know, I don't know that he's going to have the best stats of this wide receiver group, but I think his impact is going to be uh, significant. When you look at Prol, I think his biggest strength is route running. I think he came in prepared as a freshman, was able to – at least get some reps just because he knew how to run a route. And that's been key for his career. I mean, last year, once Mac, once Mac got injured, he was the, maybe the number two receiver in terms of production in terms of yards and touchdowns. And so I think he's a little bit limited in terms of height, but he makes up for it with just football smarts and being able to run a, a correct route and get open. You know, I also still think looking- he's a lot stronger than people realize. I think he also makes up for it with, with, with his strength. You're still waiting for some receiver to. I mean, obviously we haven't had a game yet, but you're looking for which receiver is going to be that playmaking guy deep in the end zone. You know where Mac and Bug were so good last year. Is that Radliff Williams? Is that Jordan Cunningham? Is that a Bo Corrales or Millette? I mean that that six three six four guy who can who can make a play, and that's what I think fans should be looking for outside of Jackson and Prol. You know, which receiver is going to step up? Because there's tons of names. There's guys, Devin Perry, Josh Cabrera. We've talked about them all. We just don't know who is going to be that, that second and third receiver, you know, behind uh, Prol and Jackson and some of those starters we do know. Jason, we, we've talked about Javal Millette being that guy maybe, but Gunnar Brewer said that he's really struggled with the concepts or, or thinking too much or whatever. So what goes into it? I mean – Matt Collins could run past everybody, but he still could run a good route. A guy like Millette's just not getting it done, evidently. So, I mean, clearly the importance of route running that Ross mentions and speed to blow the top off is important. But what also is necessary for these young wide receivers to sort of make their name, to sort of be that guy for this North Carolina team, where clearly going into this Cal game, there's not that guy yet. Well, I, I think this is one of the most misunderstood, along with offensive line play. Uh, I think this is one of the most misunderstood and one of the most difficult things to understand for the common fan about the way the game works. And it's partly because route running or trying to get open against somebody is sort of is the thing that everybody everybody most most connects to. I mean, if you if you play pickup football in the backyard, that's really what you're doing. And so people just sort of think like. You know, route running how hard can it be you go out and you you know you make a you you run your yardage you make a move and you and you do whatever right you just try to get open but it really is a lot more than that uh once especially once you get beyond the high school level but even at the high school level in better offenses you, you're you're having to do a lot more and once you get to college and above it route running becomes it, it, it there's it requires so much discipline so for one, I mean, going back to when I was, when I was learning how to, how to run routes uh, at the college level, one of the things that you have to realize is that these guys have to read coverages just like a quarterback does as a, as a wide receiver. To run, the, to run the proper route correctly, by the second step of your route, you have to have diagnosed 
whatever coverage movement has happened and be able to adjust your route to that coverage on the fly. And that's true in basically every college offense. So let's say you've got, you know, a, a simple route combination where you have, say, a smash combination, which, which North Carolina runs a lot, where you have the, the uh, two wide receivers on one side, the outside wide receiver runs a hitch where he runs about five yards, six yards, and turns to the quarterback. And the inside receiver runs a corner route. Well, that's fine against a two-safety coverage like, say, cover, cover two, where the corner is going to stay up and he's going to play hard on that, uh, on that hitch. If he does that, then you throw to the outside over the head of the corner and you try to hit that corner route from the inside wide receiver. But what happens if they show two safeties at the snap and then suddenly rotate to a single safety coverage and now you have the corner dropping off to take away that corner route? Well, you could just still have the guy run the corner route and just run into coverage, but that doesn't seem like a very good idea, does it? So now as a wide receiver, you have to recognize, oh, coverage rotated. Now I need to, now instead of planting at 11 yards and going to the, toward the, the corner, now I sit, I sit down and I show my numbers to the quarterback at 12 yards. And you have to do this on the fly very quickly, and you have to do it at exact yardages with precision, in proper timing. Oh, and you might have a guy trying to get his hands all over you and hold you and do all this in the process. So you're having to do that while getting clear, while making a move on someone, while making the route look like another route in order to make sure that you sell it to get open. So, I mean, and that's just one, that's one of the more, it's one of the simpler examples. Another one for a single route might be you run a post corner route. So you go, you know, make it look like you're going to the corner or to the post for three, for three steps. And then you turn it out and you go to the corner. Well, you have to know whether the corner, whether the, the guy plan, plan your uh, plan against you, if he's over top of you, then you have to round that and it becomes a post out automatically. But if you can get over top of him, then it goes to a post corner and it might become a post go. It all depends on coverage. And you have to do this in about 1.8 seconds for, for a standard route. And you have to make your decision within about a half a second. And you have to do that in such a way that the quarterback can trust you because you're going to be on the same page and reading the same thing at exactly the same time. So that when the quarterback throws before you make your break, you get your head around in time to make sure that you catch it instead of letting it just float to a, to a, def to a defender. So this is what, you know, when you hear, you know, coaches talking about, well, you know, that, that, that interception wasn't really on the quarterback. You know, the receiver ran the wrong route. And people are like, well, how stupid does that receiver have to be? He keeps running the wrong routes. If only you knew how complicated it can be, how complex it can be in, the, in a college offense. And, and don't even get me started on the pros where you're, you know, bringing in option routes and all sorts of stuff. It really can get complicated really, really quickly because in order to adjust, in order to make sure that you have an answer for whatever the defense is going to throw at you, you can't just go out and say, okay, you go, you know, 10 yards and turn in because they may just take that away. And you have to have ways of, of uh, adjusting to that and making sure that, uh, that your quarterback and your receiver are going to be on the same page and have some place to go. So that's where that stuff, when you hear a guy like uh, Millette is not quite getting it, it's usually on that stuff. It's not that like he doesn't know the route tree and he doesn't know like, well, you should be running a slant. Well, yeah, I should be running a slant, but it's cover two. Do I sit that slant down at, at you know, 11 yards, which is, you know, what a lot of teams teach against cover two? Do I recognize the coverage? 
Do I know that I'm supposed to run through this coverage versus sitting down against this one? That stuff is the stuff that usually uh, comes up. And this is why, actually, if you if you go through, I I, uh, I read not that long ago that someone did a uh, an analysis of the prior four years of uh, the top, I think it was 50, 24-7 composite wide receivers. And his conclusion was that it takes even the top 50 wide receivers in the country all but maybe four or five in a good year. It takes everyone else until their third year on campus usually to make a major impact. So if you see a guy that makes a major impact as a true freshman, he's a savant. Like it, it, his ability to digest and do all this stuff and figure this stuff out on the fly is unusual. I mean, that, that, that's a really smart kid. And then, you know, even sec, even guys that get it before their third year and their second year, those guys are a little bit, a little bit ahead. So, I mean, it, it takes a while because it's a lot to learn and a lot more than people realize. And it's a lot more than let's say you're a six foot three athlete who runs a four or five in high school. Well, you could just run by people in high school. That ain't happening in college. You got to learn all this stuff in college, and it's it's a shock. Whew. That was incredible. Yeah. Um, man. Uh, well, one thing I want to add real quickly, I think in addition to the route tree, obviously it's very hard to run a route. But with UNC's offense, looking to the sideline and how fast the plays come in and how fast <laughs> UNC's offense is, 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 I think, a huge part of what makes this learning curve so tough for receivers. You know, Mo Lett's been in the system for three years. And he, he's not breaking the two deep because I mean, it's just so difficult to – manipulate what you see from the sideline there's tons of signals coming in and put it together and then make it all happen on the field so that's why another reason with unc's offense it's so difficult to um to take that play and and be on pace and then do it in game speed and get everything right with everything you need to know what jason just talked about so i think that's another aspect that makes being a wide receiver at unc a lot more complicated obviously than we than the common fan might have thought definitely yeah, i, I missed a lot of formations too yeah. yeah, I miss the days of you know go to the red car and turn around. Those were the easy days hook. of playing football. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move on. Let's wrap this one up. We, we've talked about it for a long time. We've been doing these preseason podcasts for a little over a month now. Ross, I'm gonna start with you since you're the new guy on these predictions. So what we're gonna do? We're gonna have about one and a half to two minutes a piece to state your case. And then give me a score. And we'll be keeping up with this on WCHL and on InsideCarolina.com. And as a group, all season long, Ross, you're up. So the spread's, what, 12 points? UNC's favored. You got the Tar Heels at home. You got the body clock effect with Cal, new coaching staff, personnel at Cal that maybe didn't even recruit as well. So there's some questions there. You got UNC with an experienced staff. Um, a set offense with a lot of new players, a really good defense. I think it has a chance to be special. That I think it's going to cause a lot of problems for Cal's offense. I think UNC can put up some points. I don't know how many they can um, in this first game as they work out some kinks. I'll go UNC 28, Cal 20. Mm. Jason, you're up. And keep it short, brother. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So this one, again, I, I, I hate pro- projecting openers to begin with. And this one is one with more uncertainty than most openers. I, I do think that, that this game fa- again, favors North Carolina because I think Carolina should win the line of scrimmage. Both teams have some playmakers. Uh, I think there's some concern about, you know, that we're, we're going to find out which young guys on the Carolina offense are going to be the playmakers, but I think they, I think they're there. I think they exist. 
It's just a matter of identifying which ones are there are going to are going to be the guys in, in 2017. I think ultimately uh, we're probably going to see a few more points scored in this one than people are, are comfortable with. You know, Cal has some weapons and that offense is always going to be a, a tricky thing to, to stop. So I do think this will be a little bit on the higher scoring side, even though Carolina's defense, I think, is going to be improved on the year. It may not show as much in these first two games because I think both Cal and Louisville are teams that, that should be able to, to score some points. So if they hold Cal under, say, 28 points, that's a big deal, I think, in this, in this opener. I've got this game, I think the spread's probably about right. I think Carolina scores roughly, say, 42 I'll say, I'll, actually, I'll say 45, Carolina 45, Cal 31. I think there's going to be going to be some points in this game, but I think holding Cal to 31, given the pace of this game, how many, how many plays are probably going to be run overall, and given the, uh, the, the uncertainty in terms of what you're going to face and all that, I think we're going to see some points scored. I'm going to go with 45 to, uh, 30, to 31, uh, North Carolina in this game. All right, Greg Barnes, uh, I'll let you go last since you're the elder statesman. Well, I think Jason hit on it in that this is a difficult game to project just because there's so many unknowns. We don't know exactly what to expect out of Cal, really on either side of the ball. North Carolina is going to be hard to kind of get a grasp of what they want to do offensively. That's going to be predicated on not only the, the quarterback who's in the game, but whichever running back gets, gets hot. And if the wide receivers can create space and a lot of those different things, so you're going to see a lot of different bodies in there for North Carolina. So a lot of question marks. What we do know is that this North Carolina defense should be pretty good. They got a lot of experience back, even though they have three new defensive coaches. John Papuchis is kind of the continuation from Gene Chiswick's days. And so I think that's going to be a solid unit for North Carolina. I agree with Jason that we may not see how good this defense is the first couple weeks of the season. But as the season progresses and we get an ACC play, we're going to see exactly how good this defense can be. And that, for me, is the deciding factor in this game. I think that's why North Carolina is a 12-point favorite. I think it's going to be sloppy, and I think there's going to be turnovers on both sides. There's going to be frustration for both coaching staffs. But I do think North Carolina's defense wins the day, and I've got North Carolina winning this one 35-24. Good stuff, guys. I'll say that I have no idea and that my prediction record is awful, so I start fresh this time. I'll say Carolina 31, Cal 20. I do think the defense wins today. I do think the defense gets more than one interception I agree with on that. the game. And I think MJ Stewart is the MVP on that side of the ball. Guys, it's been fun. Game day is finally here. It's been fun talking to y'all preseason. Next time we speak, it'll be post first game ross greg and jason appreciate it thanks tommy see you guys it's always fun thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of unc sports your home for tar heel football basketball and recruiting